Welcome to Dr. Two's podcast and the lovely music of Hans Zimmer uh, from the movie Interstellar. This is Dr. Stu's podcast. I'm Dr. Stu. It's podcast number 96. Thank you for listening. Catch us on iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Uh, you can also find us on drstuespodcast.com. You can like us on Facebook. You can email us at askdrstu, that's D-R-Stu, S-T-U, at gmail.com. I do answer uh, all my emails, and occasionally we have topics that are uh, good for conversation here on the podcast. And also, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at uh, Dr. Fishbein. Uh, thanks for listening. I'm back, as usual, with my guest host. Oh, guest host. Guest host. No, you're not a guest host anymore. Sorry. Yeah. Slipped out. Said, said guest host on my notes from last week. Oh. So... Uh, this is my regular host, Kimberly Durden. Kimberly, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm 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 good. I'm awake, so that's a good thing. I got in uh, late last this morning, early this morning, so I'm awake. I'm here. I'm bright eyed and yeah, bushy tailed. Even even though people understand that, even though this is a week later than the last podcast, they all they know that we often do two in a row. Which is why I used to tease Brian why he was always wearing the same outfit <laughs> two weeks in a row. But but um, I'm wearing the no. same outfit as our last right. podcast too. I was going to start. Sorry. I was going to fake it and say, uh, "Well, the Olympics have started and my back is better and all that stuff." But <laughs> but it hasn't started yet because uh, that will be next week. And uh, <laughs> so you know, okay. it's it's one of it's sort of a time warp. But actually, Interstellar is very appropriate because we have time travels quicker on. Uh, uh, in real time, that it does on Doctor Stu's podcast. Okay, well that that's totally cool. That makes sense. Right, Thir- thirty-five minutes on Doctor Stu's pad- podcast is like five minutes in real time. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm, we're here. We're great. It's a beautiful day in Southern California, nice and hot, just like we like it. So, and the traffic wasn't bad, and that's always a plus. Yeah, how does that happen sometimes? I don't know. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. It when it miracle. happens, it's a miracle. That is the the. The heat is not a problem so much. Either are the fires. Mm. I mean, obviously, for some people who are affected by them, but sure. but it's the traffic. That the, the, traffic. the the real negative to living in Los Angeles is the traffic. Our life runs around the traffic patterns of L.A. and uh, yeah, it's. I know we make home visits at really odd times sometimes. Yeah, that's right, and it's really just a part of the fabric of our life. Is always considering what the traffic is going to be like. So, but that's what you have to love about birth because mm-hmm. there's something about the natural diurnal rhythms of birth and the circadian rhythms that that make almost all births, for me at least, yeah. uh, start in the late evening. Yes. And so you're you're traveling at 2 in the morning or 3 in the morning to get there. The baby may be born at 3 in the afternoon, but yeah. but the <laughs> birth and the travel time is usually in the middle of the night. Like this past week, we had to go to Fontana three Ooh. times in three days. Oh, my God. And it's about 47 miles east of L.A., and every time we went... Uh, not only did we have fast track to go in the fast track lanes, but there was it was no traffic, and so it was it was a piece of cake. How long did it take you to get there with no traffic? About fifty minutes. That's amazing. Yeah. And then okay, contrast that with traffic. Oh, two hours. Yeah. At least. Case in point, right there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I remember one time we had birthed in Temecula, uh, one of the births we've had many yeah. births in Temecula, but it was a few years ago, and um, I was already down there, and I'd, I'd written a, a blog about it. It's called Two Days Trapped in Temecula, but. <laughs> But I had to have my birth team come down finally on a Friday. And of course, it was Friday at 5 o'clock. And oh, it took God. them four hours to do a two-hour drive. That so. is horrible. Yeah, it sucks big time. So um, today on this podcast, we were wanting to talk about, I know you were mentioning something about C-sections and women, um, people being forced um, into C-sections. And when you say forced, what do you mean by force? How can you force somebody into a C-section? I, help, help me understand well, what you mean by that. 
there are many different ways to force a C-section on people, but uh, and some of them are coercion, uh, mm. some of them are skewed counseling, mm. and some of them are banning of of, uh, of choices and not giving people uh, enough information to know that they have other options like refusing surgery or going to a different institution. Hmm. Uh, all of them are deceptive and uh, have no place in the ethical practice of medicine, in my humble opinion. <laughs> But um, they go on on a daily basis. I mean, I was talking recently to uh, some people in Alabama, right? Um, because they uh, midwife, mid, uh, certified professional midwives in Alabama are illegal. That's right. There are only eleven certified nurse midwives in the entire state. O- only eleven. I had seen on the website uh, safer birth in Bama, something like fourteen. So is it down to eleven? Oh, maybe now? it's a four, well, whatever, eleven or fourteen. Fourteen. But I thought, right. and I thought only five are actually. Yes, practicing yeah. or something. Four, like that. I think, on the website. So That's people are crossing the border into Tennessee or other places where they can do that. They're driving uh, unnecessarily, and their their choices are limited uh, by laws that don't have any foundation in, you know, evidence based medicine, fact, reasonable choices, ethics. Because worldwide, there's enough evidence to support uh, midwifery care, the midwifery model of care, for a state to have. To ban it, there can you know there's no logical reason for this. Obviously, it is a financial, it is a turf battle, it is that sort of a situation, and not something that makes um, medical sense. They'll always use safety. We've talked about this many times on my podcast that safety is a canard uh, or a hammer that is used to get people to do stuff when you don't have a better reason. You always will pull out the. Uh, the injured dead baby card exactly. or the are you crazy card right. or, you know, that, that person who gave you that option is an idiot card. Right. Uh, the pejorative, uh, you know, again, when you don't have an argument, you pound the table. Mm. And so uh, I don't know too much. I'm going to get into it because I've been asked by some of the people in Alabama to start to look into this with them and maybe come and speak. That would be amazing. I think that there's a, what I've, from what I've heard, I've had some people, um, you sent me, that information about what's going on in Alabama. And I just want to say that uh, I I knew that certified professional midwives weren't legal in every state in the United States. They should be. They're not. And But I didn't really realize that Alabama was one of those states that uh, didn't, hasn't uh, allowed certified professional midwives to practice. And so when you sent me um, that email with some information about it, um, what, I, what I got from it was that there is... <clears throat> A bit of a, uh, uh, there's an effort in Alabama to make some changes. And I wrote a, a, a Facebook post about it, um, connected with my GoFundMe campaign, which is helping to fund my midwifery, the finishing of my midwifery education. And I want to thank all the folks that have supported me in that campaign so far. But nonetheless, I wrote a post about it. Um, and some of my mentors, um, uh, one of my mentors, Shafia Monroe from International Center for Traditional Childbearing, contacted me and she said... Uh, I met her at the uh, yeah. human rights thing. She wasn't there. Oh, we talked about her, though. Yeah, we talked about her. She oh, yeah. was to receive an award, but the award was received um, in her honor. Oh, in her honor, right. By her right. friend, I remember, her name. I remember her Shakur, name, right. who is amazing right. also. But um, So Shafia contacted me when she saw that post, and she said, Kim, um, a- Alabama is my, um, my family home, and I'm planning to relocate there. Um, and yes, uh, there is a effort going on in Alabama to 
um, to make some changes in the midwifery laws down there. So, and she wanted to know if I wanted to be pulled in or if I was thinking about relocating there. And I don't go. I don't want to. No, you're not going. I don't want to go there. I love LA. You're but not go- but you're, not going. you're making a fortune working on Doctor Stu's podcast. You can't give it up. <laughs> Where's my pay limo? The, pay the big salary, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, your driver. <laughs> but um, your you phone. know, I, 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 I'm glad to hear that because that's the type of efforts that it's going to take in all states. And this is why. Why do we need grassroots efforts to make changes? Because the change happens in the grassroots. Number one, because uh, when the folks, folks who, whose, po- where policies are being made for folks who are not at the table, then those folks end up being on the menu. And we all need to be sitting at the table and be a part of the decisions that are being made, um, first and foremost, to have our voice be heard. Because if people don't know what they don't know, what they don't, they just don't know. If people who are making decisions about who are going to be the legal providers guardians of childbirth in our state, but they don't know anything about the contributions of midwives or anything about whatever, then they're going to make decisions based on their interests and not, um, and they might still make decisions based on their interests, but we have to be at the table. All of us have to be at the table. I don't care who you are, if this is something that matters to you. And like I told uh, Sister Shafia, I'm not planning to move to Alabama, but if there's an effort going on, and like you talk about going down there to speak, possibly doing a conference, if there's an effort going on, we all need to be a part of that. We all need to be keep places like Alabama on our radar screen because it's happening in our country. It may not be your state, but it's happening in our country. And what, you know, it's important to kind of like see all of our quote unquote struggles as linked together so that we can kind of like make this a better place for everyone, uh, not just oh, you can have a home birth if you live in California. But if you live in Alabama, well, you know, suddenly you're a different type of human being that a home birth, home birth would be risky or dangerous. No, it's just the way the laws and the policies are set up to benefit a few. And I just want to say this too, Stu, that when you sent that email um, to me, it reminded me uh, the Safer Birth in Bama folks sent you a link of a DVD, and I forgot to bring it for you today, um, of a... Uh, DVD done by um, our friend Diane Paul. You know Diane Paul. She's a filmmaker. She's blonde hair. She's, she did, um, you know her. I've seen you at conferences talking well, if, to her. By the way, if Kimberly says I know somebody. I know you know then, her. And I must know her, even if my 60-year-old <laughs> and, and two-week When brain. you see her, you'll be like, oh, yeah, Diane Paul. Okay, anyway, Diane Paul, that's a shout-out for you. She did a documentary on a midwife in Alabama named uh, Margaret Charles Smith, and she's one of the... Uh, quote unquote granny midwives um, of Alabama and she uh, caught babies uh, from early 1900s up to about gosh until they outlawed certified professional midwives in 1976 they outlawed certified professional midwives these were the people that were taking care of poor indigent Mm -hmm. people in Alabama for years and years and years and years, this woman practiced for twenty something years. Often, mostly people of color. Mostly too. people of color, right. and the people of and they also the peop, the midwives of color. They weren't all midwives of color, but there are plenty of midwives of color. Um, they delivered everybody's baby, but the truth of the matter is, they outlawed it in 1976. And in the documentary that Diane Paul did on uh, Miss Margaret, um, she 
they she has a section in her DVD, so I encourage everybody to get it, and maybe we can put the link up here on your podcast yeah, too. Yeah. That they did. Renee, a, if you're listening, we'll we'll get you the link. They, she, uh, Diane included a section talking to a lawyer who was talking about the legalities of why, what happened in 1976, and why they uh, took away midwives' rights. Now, quickly, Miss Margaret, her history: she delivered three thousand five hundred babies. In the 20-something years that she practiced, all at home, uh, never lost a mother. According to the doctor that she worked with, it was, if yes, were some babies lost. There were some babies that were lost, as he said, to no fault of her own. So an acceptance that some babies might not make it. But this woman never lost a mother. She had, I mean, she was working in homes with no running water, no electricity, no no means. You mean, it's just amazing. Get the documentary and see a part of our American history in that documentary. It's amazing. But anyway, the, the fact that this woman, as well as other uh, midwives, was able to practice and have healthy outcomes was of no consequence to this law in 1976. No one cared about this woman. She was just seen as like, Expendable. No, logic the and, whole reason, midwifery logic and practice. reason don't have a place in, in lawmaking. And what the, it's, what it's the lobbying and, and uh, economics. And, and what that law, what the lawyer pointed out in the uh, documentary is that he said, I'm not quite sure why they made midwifery illegal here, but let's just say I think it was a way to allow Medicaid or Medi-Cal and other interests to come in and doctors to come in. And it is so unfortunate that that law in 1976 that was made for whatever reasons uh, has wiped out midwifery in that state to here we are 2016. You still, there are no certified prof- professional midwives yep. that are legal in that state. There are 11, 14 certified nurse midwives. Only four of them are actually delivering babies. And not to mention, why does Alabama also have one of the highest infant mortality rates in the country? Lack of access. You know, there's not a lot of birth care providers in Alabama anyway. There's just not enough and people have a hard time getting makes, to it makes care. You, put it this way. It makes you want to scratch your head and you go, what the fuck were they thinking? <laughs> yes, thank okay. you. They I weren't. Mean, it wasn't about the health of moms and no, babies. No, it's, it's, it's never about that. And, and it's always, if you, if, you look, if you look deeply enough, you'll find that there was uh, somebody who benefited from this. Exactly. Whether, it was a, whether it was the Medical Association of Alabama, the right. Doctors of Alabama, right. or whatever. They pushed this through because I tell you, the lawmakers of Alabama don't know shit about this. That's right. They don't know. They don't know. So they take advice from the experts that they rely on. And the experts they rely on are people that work at the universities and in the big institutions there. And what do they want? They want bodies to come to their hospital That's right. and their institution they don't want the competition That's right. And therefore why well, I mean it's 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 like nothing else is why it's why the taxi cab drivers in Los Angeles don't allow uh, or for a long time didn't allow Uber to go to the airport and don't allow it's the true. Uh, and don't allow the trains to run to the airport in the biggest city and mm, mm, most mm. sprawling city in the United States. Right. The you can't take a train from Union Station downtown to the airport. Mm, that's such a great it's, point. Well, it's be, it, it, it it's protectionist legislation. Right. right. And that's I mean, I don't I don't know any facts about Alabama, but I can guarantee you I'm 100% correct just mm-hmm. because I I've seen this happen enough mm-hmm. uh in the world around me and I mm-hmm. see it happen locally. Mm-hmm. I see it happen um where institutions uh will ban a choice mm-hmm. or or a reasonable option simply because the few of the doctors that are in that institution don't want it there, or somebody has power, 
like in Santa Barbara, to ban vaginal birth after cesarean. Right. Or now and recently, and I don't know exactly where this is going. Um, this By the time this podcast comes out, there could be more information on this, but uh, a local hospital, Gleddale Adventist, I'm not afraid to say it, mm. medical center, uh, has recently banned breach delivery. And uh, they will not give reasons. Well, wait a second. Let's back up for a second. I thought nobody could have a breach delivery in the hospital. I mean... Well, the problem is, is that there's the reason they ban breach delivery there is because one doctor is doing breach delivery. So okay. it was a way of stopping this doctor from doing breach delivery without risking uh, being making a, a, a lawsuit by him for restraint of trade or or interfering with the business practices or that sort of thing by pra- making a policy. Got it. It's a sort it's of not a, at him. It's, it's the oh, hospital. Oh yeah, we're just making a policy. Oh, it's only affecting you. Oh, we're sorry, but you know mm. we didn't we didn't realize that. You know, it's, it's like it's so transparently phony. All right. But it's not based on anything scientific. Right. And I don't and, and again they'll always hide Kimberly behind the idea that anything that would explain what they're doing is confidential. So we can't tell you. Just trust us that this is a good thing for the community because we know stuff that you don't know, but we're not allowed to tell you it because it's confidential. So, so pay- isn't that a great scam? I mean it's a perfect scam. It is. You can tell somebody it's like a parent telling a little child you know, you don't eat that. Well, why am I? Just because I Be- said so. Because it's, it's confidential. Because <laughs> Yeah, because it's not safe. Well, what does that mean? And, well, you know, you wouldn't understand. Right. Okay? Right. And, and, and parents, we, we're tyrannical. My favorite quote, one of my favorite quotes is, the welfare of humanity is always the alibi of tyrants. Yes. It's by Albert Camus, the French philosopher. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this is exactly what's going on here. They're saying that for safety purposes, we're going to stop this choice. Or up in Santa Barbara, we're going to stop the choice of VBAC, even though it's supported. Both of the breach and VBAC in the ACOG statement say that with proper uh, staffing and proper uh, uh, skilled practitioners, it's a reasonable choice that should be offered to people and should be retaught as far as breach delivery goes. They're, They're doing this. They'll never explain why, and they don't have to explain why. And the frustrating thing for me and the community here, and I'm sure in Alabama too, is is we deserve to know why. If you want to do this, that's not okay, but at least tell us why you're doing it. But when you lie or when you uh, obfuscate, um, that only gets people uh, more angry. And then we've got, don't we have enough anger right now in our country <laughs> that we need, we need more anger? But I'll tell you, what they don't want is they don't want to be exposed, and you need to make them as uncomfortable as possible. And yes. that's why grassroots community organizing yes. and protests and standing yes. in front of the hospital, setting out a press release, yeah. getting, getting, you know, as much as it helps, I mean, it does help getting famous people yeah. to come forward yes. and make a statement. Yes. I mean, when Kim Kardashian tweets, 30 million people get it. Right. So, you know, you want to get some like those people on board. Isn't she al- coming on the show? Who? Kim Kardashian. Uh, have you asked her? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Stu. Yeah. I couldn't resist. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm like only two degrees of separation away from Kim Kardashian, though. So, uh, theoretically, Look that, at the, that, well, that's possible. You know, you puffed your chest out when you said that. I just want to let you know. Oh, she, <laughs> Kimmy, I'm, I don't mean to say this, but you're not, you're, 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 uh, obstetrical prowess is not one of my favorite things. <laughs> I bashed her before because she said some silly things. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Enough of her. But no, what you're saying is so important. And I think it's also important for consumers I'm to sure, get involved. I'm sure she's not bothered by Dr. Stu's podcast. Uh, uh, is she, does she know her. who you are? 
she probably doesn't know me by Dr. Stu, but she knows my last name, yes. Okay. Yeah, she used to see somebody that was in my office. Oh, I see. Right. Got it. Um, six degrees, two degrees of separation. Right. So, But what I want to say is that it is really important for consumers. Like A lot of times people feel powerless. Like They're like, wow, this is happening. Oh, my God, I feel so... They get angry because they feel helpless and they feel powerless and they don't know how to get involved. For instance... Like we're talking about, we mentioned Alabama. We're not in Alabama. But again, I will reiterate that what's going on in Alabama, it's important for us to keep that on our radar screen. Those of us in the birth world that want to see people have, all people have options in in birth. Um, You know, get involved. Figure out a way you can get involved. Um, Yes, sometimes that might mean that you're making a sign and you're going with other parents and you're protesting in front of a hospital. Um, Or it might mean that you're calling out uh, bad practices and, and you're, you know, I think I'm a big fan, especially in hospitals of calling the consumer advocates, uh, that uh, patient advocates that are, are available in every hospital. They're supposed to be, uh, liaisons, right? Liaisons. I mean, I'm a big fan of, Hey, this stuff is not going right. Call that advocate. You know, you, I have seen lots of things get done by involving patient advocates or whatever you need to do. I think it's just important to do something. And you, and you need to do this proactively because it, it isn't the time to do it when a woman is 38 weeks pregnant and is scrambling for a choice. Right. You don't want to put that sort of pressure on a woman, which I deal with all the time with the breach problem. But, you know, if you have a previous cesarean section or you want to avoid that first cesarean section and you go to a hospital that doesn't allow you to move around, that has to have continuous monitoring. Yes. That, I mean, we talked we, we talk at the top of the hour about uh, forced C-sections. And there are truly forced C-sections, and then there are truly cascades of intervention that lead to C-sections that were unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, we know for a fact that, that the C-section rate in the United States is probably at least twice, if not two and a half times, what it really should be. And uh, we know that uh, from whether it's from uh, looking at European countries, other first world countries, looking at midwifery statistics, uh, if we even exclude... Uh, you know, truly high-risk clients or preterm labor or, or anomalous fetuses or all that stuff. And we just look at equal cohorts, as they did in a study on home birthing in Oregon, which had some negative things about home birthing. But one of the things they did find was that the C-section rate in the home birth mothers was 7%. The C-section rate in the women who planned a hospital birth, equal cohort of women, was 24%. Wow. And that's simply because the model by which they were cared for. Absolutely. So you have overt forced C-sections and you have covert uh, forcing into cesarean sections, but just by the practices. So people need to, they need to challenge their local hospitals. They need to challenge uh, their communities. They, they, they need to organize. And there's plenty of ways to do that, um, starting with organizations. There's so many organizations on Facebook and other places where they can find in their in their local community. Yeah, one of the ones that I really like for uh, C-sections, avoiding C-sections, healing from C-sections is International Cesarean Awareness Network. I just want to give them a shout out because they've been doing great work for years, years, years. ICANN, I-C-A-N. Every every major city has a local chapter. Yes, they yeah. do, and they um, and they uh, they're like you know they're like a. Uh, not only do they advocate for trying to change things, but they're also like a 12-step program for, yeah. for women trying to recover from yes. the trauma that they experience, from the, uh, the disappointment sometimes that they have when they realize that what happened to them in their first pregnancy probably shouldn't have happened. That's right. And, you know, when you talk about four C-sections and coercion, you mentioned coercion, and I think that's one of the most, uh, oh, gosh, what is the word? It's just so, it's just 
disgusting to coerce someone into having a C-section, for instance, by threatening that you're going to put call child protective services if you don't agree to have this surgery. And I mean, this this is America. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it is. And, you know, and, and that that fear is, is become even more pervasive lately because you and I both have heard stories now of people who want to leave the hospital early or don't want vitamin K or don't want vaccination or don't want this. Uh, and they've been, and Child Protective Services has been called. That's right. Because the hospital doesn't really care about the woman and her baby. The hospital cares about covering its ass. Exactly. And so by calling Child Protective Services, they've said, look, look how, look how good we are. We, we want to protect that baby as if the parents don't. Right. And exactly. again, when the, when the state or the big company steps in uh, and, tr- and try, and this could get us into, into a political talk. I don't want to go there with you, my friend. No. But when, <laughs> the, when we have a big state or big business stepping in and saying that we know better, um, that's a problem for all of us because free, uh, the freedom uh, is one of the things that makes our country great. And the freedom to make these choices, even if that's not the choice that the hospital or the doctor would necessarily support doesn't mean that it's completely irrational. I mean, there's a big difference between uh, having a difference of opinion and being irrational or delusional. Well, absolutely. But you know, you can, when you, when you disagree with somebody, you can label them irrational because they disagree with you. And that's a very easy technique to do. Well, but the, but, but you can't have, if you're, are in a relationship or you're having a, a experience with a doctor and, and this is your way that your doctor is communicating with you. Um, it's run, wrong. Run. It's wrong. It's run. Run away. Run away. Because run away. how should all medical care providers be providing care? Everything should be by informed consent, informed choice. That's one of the first things that you want to find out when you go interview a care provider. What? Tell me how you how you practice informed consent and informed choice. That is supposed to be our right, that that any practitioner can say to us as, as a client, as a patient, um, well, this is what's going on, this is what I noticed, this is what, I'm, what, what we're seeing here. These are your options. We can do this, and these are the risks, and these are the benefits, et cetera, or we could do this, and these are the risks, and these are the benefits, et cetera. Hey, can we talk? Let's, let's talk. Um, there are also some other options. That's the conversation that's supposed to be going on for every situation, every procedure, every test, every um, anything that comes up in, in, in the time of giving care. And why isn't that happening? Because interestingly enough, Stu, um, Heather Swartz, midwife here in L.A., and I created a, a, a program called Enhanced Pregnancy when we were all working together at the sanctuary. And it was a kind of a influence by um, group prenatal care. We were doing our own spin on group prenatal care. And what we were wanting to do was kind of capture the clients that weren't really feeling like home birth clients or weren't really feeling like birth center clients. Or maybe they were. They were They were also could, could be. Um, but also hospital birthing clients that wanted to have a little bit more care than that, what they were getting in their typical mainstream care with their OB. So they would come into our enhanced pregnancy program, um, and we had eight weeks. Uh, we met three hours uh, a week for eight, eight weeks, uh, and we had a- That's a lot. Know, it was, but what we did in that time was we gave them a childbirth class. Basically, we gave them education about birth, oh, I remember. et cetera, right? And then we also pulled each couple or each- 
group of clients aside privately and gave them midwifery care. And, and some of those clients went on and just switched over to our care and birthed at home or birthed in a birth center because they were like, wow, this is completely different from what I'm getting from my OB. And others, for whatever reasons, maybe they were high risk, which is fine, or whatever, were going to stay with their OB, but they got um, this really empowering information from us that they were not getting in their yeah, five, well, ten not, minute they're appointments. They're not going to get that. They're not going to get that in the medical model. And, and you know, but the, the first thing I just want to say, the first thing we asked them in our in our intro class was, "What's informed consent?" And you see how you just you didn't say anything. I mean, I know you know what it is, and there was silence. That's how it would be in the room with the clients who were getting mainstream medical care. They had no idea what we were talking about. They were just like they would look at each other, scratching informed consent. I'm talking about people who are si six and seven months pregnant have never even heard the term and don't even realize that you know, that's what they're supposed. If to if the medical model, the obstetric model, was doing great and had wonderful outcomes, and you could say, okay, so this is the best choice, um, then you could say. It's still, it's that, even that would still not justify the elimination of other, other options and other choices. So when I look back to Alabama and I see that in 40 years ago they got rid of midwifery, and you really don't know why, even though... We have ideas why, but we don't know. Well, right. they won't, they, you know, those people probably that got rid of it are all dead now. Right. And then once, you know, once you have a long habit of doing something one way, right. it's very difficult to change. Right. So change is going to be always fought because people don't like change, especially the status quo people who are making uh, hay off of the way the things are now. Exactly. But ultimately, what do doctors have to fear by bringing midwives in other than, than the improvement of the whole system? They're, and, and, yeah, that's well, a that, great question. I have ideas about what the answers no, to that question is. The answer to the question is it would improve the whole system. And if they found that it was suddenly... Mothers were dropping dead right and left because they were having uh, midwives instead of doctors. Well, then, yeah. Then you could have a rational discussion about maybe we need to regulate this or do this or whatever else. But that's not the case. Right. It would improve the whole obstetrical delivery system right. in a state like Alabama right. to bring midwives in. So why is the state legislature, why is there such thing? This is the kind of things we'll talk about with Safer Birth in Alabama when, right. when I talk to them. Because, and I would love to. The problem is, is, if I go there and I give a talk, the people that really need to hear me speak. All right, right. Well, gonna, well, they're going to be come. coming to the conference. You're going to be spe speaking to the choir. And on that point, Stu, and I'm so glad that you brought that up because when we're talking about doing grassroots efforts and when we're talking about conferences and when we're talking about organizing, we, those of us on the, on the, grassroots effort and really need to do our due diligence to be talking to quote unquote the other side to be pulling them in to the discussions to be inviting them to these conferences you know I used to be uh, a La Leche League leader and you know La Leche League is the foremost breastfeeding organization in the country and uh, they've been around for I think this is their 60 year mark um, and it's all mother-led grassroots and all that kind of stuff but we would have a hard time having getting doctors, pediatricians to come to our La Leche League conferences yeah. because they didn't even know what La Leche League was, let alone why should I come to a conference. But La Leche League really try, uh, did a good job in creating conferences, especially for providers. But then we got to get those providers there. But you got to go out there, grassroots people. You got to go out there. You got to knock on doors. You got to kind of get well, uncomfortable. If you, if, you you give these, if you don't give these doctors uh, an incentive to come, Ex yeah. and it's not going to be bagels, locks, and cream cheese. <laughs> It's got to be uh, like CME credit to exactly. come. Exactly. They're not going to come. And now, unless, unless they get rid of MOC, maintenance of certification, 
doctors have to spend so much time recertifying they get their CMEs from that that doing elective CME type stuff is out the window. So the camaraderie and the idea that I want to expand my base of knowledge or I want to do something that might be better for the women that I'm caring for, that is so secondary to the overwhelming uh, business of medicine that these guys have to deal with. I agree. But and I, and I, and I, I think that we still have to knock on doors and we it. have to try to scratch the surface because look at you. Look at you, Stu. You are an anomaly, okay? You came out of uh, a situation. Yeah, but in some ways I was forced out. And you were forced out and you already had the mindset that something wasn't quite well, yeah, right. And as you like to say, you know, when you rock the boat, prepare to get wet. And I think that that can be used to, to summarize some of the things that you went through. But I think that there's a lot of great people out there that want to make a change. I'm not, I'm not here to vilify any OB and not, you know, they're not all horrible leave people. Leave that to me. I'll, I'll do <laughs> Good, that. you can do that. But I will say that there's a lot of great people out here. And sometimes when you're just kind of in your box doing your thing, you know, maybe there's an OB out there that's listening to this podcast or that is going to listen to this podcast and think, well, wait a second. Like, you know, what we forget is that feeling powerless, it doesn't just happen with people kind of quote unquote on the bottom rung. You know, I'm so powerless. I'm just a poor person out here. You know, I have no power. It doesn't just stay there. I mean, people can have position, can be doctors and feel powerless. They can feel like they're a slave to the system. They can feel like they don't have a way out. They can feel like, hey, I just got to go do my job. And I'm just saying in this podcast right now, I invite any physician, any physician in the mainstream or anybody in the mainstream, a nurse for that matter, who, who's saying, I kind of don't like the way things are going. I don't know what to do to make a change. I'm kind of scared. I'm, I'm kind of scared to just just uh, allow yourself to know that, yes, you are powerful too, and, and you can make a big difference. And, and I think we all have to do that work and stop just following along like sheep. You do, you do, and you, but, you, but there's, there's no gain without risk. And, you, and even if a nurse says, you know, doctor, why do we have to stick a heparin lock in every single person? Why do we have to wear boofy hats <laughs> when, uh, when we're not going to be doing anything like that? Why are we doing this? Why are we prepping a woman's vagina with iodine for a vaginal birth? <laughs> why, is she wear- why are we draping her? Right. I mean, what, what, what's the point? Why are we cutting the cord and putting the baby on the warmer? I mean, why can't she have some nourishment? You know, why does she have to be monitored continually? I mean, asking these questions... It, it has to come, but, but nurses also, you know, nurses just want to get, they don't want to get fired. They don't want to get uh, on the bad side of the charge nurse or bad side of administration. So everybody sort of just wants to do their job and get home. But if everybody keeps doing that, right. nothing, nothing changes. That's and and we I'm end up with uh, the banning of uh, choices, the forcing of cesarean sections, whether it's technically at court order point or whether it's it's more clandestine than that mm-hmm. we we have a forced cesarean section right here in the United States that's probably 15 to 16 17% of pregnancies are women having cesarean sections who don't need them wow and uh, that adds up to 6 700,000 uh, cesarean sections a year that are probably unnecessary and you know if the death rate uh, is per cesarean is 1 in 100,000 that's 6 7 8 women they're going to die. How many people are going to have ruptured uteruses That's in their right. second or placenta accretas in their third? That's right. Um, because they were not given the right choices, the right options. And then hospitals like the local hospital here does something that to, to ban something that is a reasonable choice in skilled hands. They have one of the most skilled persons in the United States doing it there. Right. If they don't like some of the things that he may be doing, then... Stop those sorts of things, but to ban the whole policy. I mean, that would be like saying, we do hysterectomies at the hospital. Oh, you know what? 
we just had a woman who died after a hysterectomy. We're going to ban hysterectomy. No one would, no, you know, people right. would laugh at that. That's right. They would never do that. Exactly. Exactly. They may take the doctor who had a bad outcome and say, okay, you need to be proctored or you need to be, you know, uh, you need to do five more of these with somebody with you right. before you can do it again. Or we're sure. going to take that privilege away from this specific doctor, but they're not going to ban all doctors right. from doing it. But this was a blatant, you know, what's going on here is a blatant attempt to stop one doctor from doing his thing. And so well, the outcome remains to be seen. And so will we keep uh, your listeners posted on what's happening? Oh, yeah. We will, of course, we will. unfortunately, our podcasts tend to run a week or two behind time. So when this post podcast posts, there may already have been a resolution to this, or there may already have been uh, 200 people on the front steps of... Uh, of well, the hospital. that's what I was going to say. Right. Wouldn't it be wonderful if everyone who w- benefited by having a vaginal breach, breach delivery by this particular doctor or just, believed, or just, just believes, wrote a letter or just believes in in um, in the idea that a hospital isn't the one that should decide Thank you. what choices yes. are reasonable. That's right. A hospital's job is to serve the community. Right. And I understand they protect your liability and stuff like that, but they can hard behind the argument that this is a liability issue. Right. But I would ask them then to come forward and tell the community how many times, you don't have to tell us the details, you don't have to tell us the names, how many times have you been sued (laughs) because of a breach delivery in the last 45 years Mm. with this doctor doing his breach deliveries? And if you can say once or twice or none, then how is that any different than any other doctor that's been practicing at your hospital for 40 years? Exactly. It isn't. And so he, why are you picking on this one? Explain it to us. Great question. Well, we, we, oh, but we can't. We can't explain it to you because we just stand by our staff and we, we can't explain it to you because it's confidential and, and uh, but trust us. Mm. Trust mm-hmm. us. <laughs> Here we are. Yeah, trust me. All right. Anyway, um, another good talk. Yes. Time flies by. Yes. Again, it's, uh, uh, um, I think that was 37 minutes in, uh, in Dr. Stu podcast time, but with relativity, that was only... Uh, five minutes in, <laughs> in real time. So um, anyway, to my listeners, I, I want to thank you again for always listening to us. Uh, Kimberly is a very, very bright and intelligent uh, person to have on the podcast. I'm delighted that, that we're together. Uh, we will be back uh, next week with another with podcast number 97. I want to thank you for listening. Again, look us up on drstudpodcast.com. Or like us on iTunes. And send, a, send us some ideas of how you think we can make some changes. Yeah, send us, uh, send us uh, anything. If you send an email to an institution or to a state or yes. to a legislature, uh, cc uh, us at askdrstew at gmail.com. That's askdrstu at gmail.com. I would love to see these letters. I would love to be able to maybe bring them up on the next podcast or, or respond to you in support of what you're doing. Again, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll see you next week.